Welcome to the third episode of the Millennial Moolah Show. I'm your host, Travis Hornsby, and this is an emergency election edition. Hope you enjoy. So one thing I've been thinking about with this election is the personal finances of our candidates. The two major candidates that we have to choose from in this election are some of the most interesting in history. There's a couple reasons for this. The first is the Republican candidate, Donald Trump, is the first major candidate in history in the modern era since the 1960s to not release his tax returns. Now, the reason for this is because he doesn't pay very much in taxes. We're going to get into that. But that's very unprecedented, and it's something that a lot of rich billionaires are very, very good at, including one of the wealthiest men in the world, Warren Buffett. So Hillary Clinton is also very unique, mostly because of any politician who's ever lived her life in the public sector. She has had the greatest income of anyone that's served in solely the public sector also in history. So we have two major party candidates that are some of the most financially, you could say corrupt, but I might use a different word. I would say unethical people that we've ever had run for major political office. So I saw a pretty good piece by John Oliver the other day who talked about the candidate's finances, and I'm going to use a little bit of that. He focused on Hillary first because she has less (laughs) problems, fewer problems, and then he focused on Trump. I'm going to go ahead and and take the same approach. So Hillary Clinton, why is everybody so upset, right? Why is everybody so up in arms with Hillary Clinton's personal finances? Well, let's start with her income. Her and Bill Clinton together since they left the White House have had approximately $230 million in income. This is relatively unprecedented because it's not like they went and joined corporate boards and got stock options. Uh, It's not like they founded a company or offered some sort of consulting service. They, They basically essentially got paid because of their access to power and because they're famous. So here's a couple examples. So Hillary Clinton earned $14 million from her book, Hard Choices. Well, she's a famous person. She had a front row seat to the most important decisions in our country's history uh, throughout a lot of its, throughout the 90s. So you could make a pretty good, you can make a pretty good argument that she, you know, deserves that. What's a little bit more questionable is Bill and Hillary Clinton combined have made $153 million solely from giving speeches over the past several years. So why is this a problem, right? It's mostly because You know, a lot of other politicians have given speeches before and made money. And to a certain extent, it's it's not that comfortable to see them doing that in general, but everybody they all do it. So you give them a little bit credit. So you can forgive them a little bit for doing it. George W. Bush has earned about twenty million dollars or so on speeches since he left the White House. Ronald Reagan earned, you know, several millions of dollars as well giving speeches. So it's not like this is just a Democrat or Republican thing. All former presidents engage in some manner of speech giving because it's easy income. You only have to get in front of an audience for a couple hours and then you're out of there and you make a ton of money really quick. And that way they don't have to do any kind of very damaging pay-for-play scheme so they get a big pile of cash in a suitcase or something like that. That way they can just make more money and be financially independent, I guess. I mean, maybe if somebody offered me $250,000 to make a speech, I would do it too. So... Anyhow, $153 million from speeches between Bill and Hillary Clinton since they left office. So why is this a problem? 
The main issue is that it could bias their potential decisions as public officials. When I was a bond trader at Vanguard, we had some very strict rules about what we were allowed to do. If I even volunteered for an outside organization, I had to get pre-approval with the Vanguard Compliance Department to make sure that I wasn't receiving any kind of impermissible benefits in exchange for my service. So me as a low-level employee at Vanguard that doesn't even have any decision-making power, I was subject to more, more serious ethics restrictions than people running for the president of the United States. And regardless of what party you're from, regardless if you're a liberal or a conservative, I definitely think that's wrong. And don't worry, we're going to get to Trump here. It's not just Hillary Clinton. Both of them are probably some of the most unethical people that we've ever experienced in terms of how they handle their personal finances running for major political office. What about Hillary Clinton? Who did she give these speeches to? Part that gets the most exposure and the, that a lot of people on the left have the biggest problem with is her speeches to Wall Street. So she's given a lot of private speeches to places like Goldman Sachs, Deutsche Bank, other institutions that a lot of people blame for causing the financial crisis. She's given all these speeches, and the idea in my mind is, okay, if I'm a Goldman Sachs managing director, I want to get every politician that I possibly can to come speak to me. Not only because I get to have private meetings with them to potentially influence policy, but because I can almost create a situation where I've given them money. If you give somebody money, you expect things. That's how politics works, right? So this is an opportunity to directly give politicians money and expect something out of them in return. So it's a great deal for a managing director to Goldman, at Goldman Sachs to make a $250,000 investment maybe four or five times in a political candidate. The issue is is the political candidate's got to have the integrity to say, sorry, we don't want your money, right? So that's why I have a problem with it because it's not that you know she shouldn't be able to earn money in speeches. You know, Other politicians have done it too. The thing that I would like to see is, okay, if I'm going to be potentially having a major position of political power, the most powerful position in the land, you'd think that you'd want to be able to have the ability to be objective when dealing with an institution like Goldman Sachs and not have received, you know, a million dollars or something like that from them. Because let's be honest, if you got a million dollars from somebody, that would probably influence your opinion, wouldn't it? How does she invest this money? Well, one thing about Hillary Clinton is she is a much, much better investor than Donald Trump. She took her five to $25 million and put it in the Vanguard S&P 500 index fund. That is probably one of the smartest, best things you can do, for, especially in the public sector, because you cannot get attacked for investing in the S&P 500 index fund. There's 500 individual companies in it. The idea that you're going to be influenced by benefiting one company over another is gone, so you don't have the conflict of interest. And the fees are super low, 0.05% in fees a year. So she's only paying something like ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 in fees a year for her investment in the Vanguard 500 index fund. So that's great. I mean, she's a very intelligent woman when it comes to investing. Uh, the only question I have is if you've made $153 million, why are you only investing five to $25 million in investments? And that's, I guess, a decent savings rate and roughly equivalent with a savings rate of a responsible working-class family. But when somebody makes that much money, Either she's giving a lot of it away, which would be great, or she's spending it on lifestyle needs or something. I mean, I, I'd imagine it's extremely expensive to have all of the travel and all of the staff around her that she has. So I would not be too surprised if you know a lot of the money is going towards staff expenses or something like that. But I thought it was kind of curious. You make $153 million in speeches and $230 million total, and you're only keeping 5 to $25 million in investments. Seemed a little bit low to me.
Bill Clinton is actually a bigger problem than she is from a personal finance perspective, mostly because of the fact that, you know, if he's going to be the first first man in the presidency, companies can also, as of him being a former president, gain significant access to the White House and to policy by going through him. And since he's not running for office, they can have him do a little bit sketchier things that can make even more money. For example, this company called Laureate Education paid him $18 million over five years to be honorary chancellor. So what is that? What is Laureate Education? So Laureate Education is a for-profit uh, institution that is is basically a for-profit university, and it's more of a global university in nature. So they paid him this $18 million to travel around the world, to speak to students, so they could use Bill Clinton's face and name on advertisements. And this same company happens to also be under scrutiny from the Department of Education for financial shadiness. So what better way to calm the fears of the Department of Education and to potentially cause these regulators not to come down on the company than to hire one of the best politicians of all time who's going to have a lot of access in the future White House and the future administration to prevent the federal aid and other sanctions from being leveled against this institution. So I think that that is, is very troubling to me because $18 million to be an honorary chancellor, goodness sakes. I mean, you see all these people, you know, Trump University, right? I mean, it's just a total sham. And the fact that people that we should be looking up to are engaging in behavior that is essentially pay to play uh, is just is just sad. I mean, regardless, again, if you're Democrat or Republican, I'm not voting for either one of them. So I can <laughs> trash both equal opportunity. So hope you enjoy this. Another interesting thing is, you know, look what happened to ITT Tech, right? So this lawyer education is a for-profit college. ITT Tech was investigated and they found that they had some major problems with the way they were doing their accounting. And ITT Tech got cut off from the federal aid spigot and they went out of business. They're bankrupt now. Their stock is basically going to zero. Think about what could happen. Laureate Education is essentially paying an $18 million preventative protection fee to somebody that can help protect them against government regulators who are the only people that could shut them down. These companies should not be able to buy access to politicians like they do. It's just not not fair to other companies that are acting with integrity. Bill Clinton has the highest individual speech fees of Bill and Hillary Clinton looked at as a combined unit. It's really fascinating looking at the who's who of who paid this guy money because it's not just shady organizations, and there are some of them. There's a lot of really legitimate organizations that decided that he was worth hundreds of thousands of dollars to speak to their organizations. It's fascinating. So 13 groups paid Bill Clinton $500,000 or more for speeches that he gave. Uh, some examples that you might recognize, Tony Robbins, the financial personal life coach, paid his organization, paid him, Bill Clinton, $500,000 to speak at an event. Um, what's fascinating about these 13 groups that paid him so much money to speak, only two of them occurred before 2009 when his wife, Hillary Clinton, became Secretary of State. So in other words, 11 of the 13 speeches were $500,000 or more. Those came either while his wife was Secretary of State or while she was running for office. So what does that tell you? Companies pay for access. Organizations pay for access. If the potential influence over power in policy is greater, they will pay more money for access to that power. I, I don't see any other way to interpret that speaking fee going from a lower average to such a high average right after Hillary Clinton took office as Secretary of State. And a lot of these organizations were foreign governments that wanted access or, or affiliated with foreign governments that wanted access to 
the United States government policy. So that's troubling, right? It would be a lot better to see them have some sort of ethics rules where you would be barred from accepting money from foreign organizations while being Secretary of State or while your partner or spouse is Secretary of State. Now, you might say, well, that's discriminatory. A spouse shouldn't be able to influence the other spouse's employment opportunities. Well, at Vanguard, let me tell you, when you worked in the financial industry, your spouse's investment activities were regulated just as much as yours were because the idea is a lot of people in finance, they hear things, they hear insider information, and they use their spouse's portfolios to trade on inside information. And so that loophole got shut down. Now, if you work for a financial industry regulatory authority regulated body, you actually, as a, your spouse, cannot really invest in almost anything. You have to get preclearance for every trade that you make. It's a huge pain in the butt. It's one of the reasons why I'm glad that I'm not working for financial institution anymore and I'm doing my startup studentloanplanner.com and millenniummoolah.com because it was really burdensome. So think about that. I was making, you know, maybe somewhere between fifty dollars and $80,000 a year starting out a low-level employee, and I was subject to regulations that controlled what, if I had a spouse at the time, if I had had a spouse at the time, that would have controlled what they could do and not do. So there is no restraint with Bill and Hillary Clinton, and there's obviously even less restraint with Donald Trump, but it's troubling. The highest fee that Bill Clinton received was $750,000 for a single speech in Hong Kong. And unfortunately, even my former employer, Vanguard, paid Bill Clinton $400,000 for two speeches. They, they used him as a headliner for their 401k plan sponsor event. So they trotted him out as sort of the show pony to give a speech on retirement planning and the state of retirement in America to try to entice big companies to send their executives so Vanguard could pitch them on why they should choose Vanguard as their 401k plan sponsor. That's one reason why I support the complete abolishment of the 401k system and have some sort of individual retirement account system, IRA system, that people could take anywhere. Because I really do not believe that employers should have the power to pick and choose who should, employers should not have the ability to choose who should be the custodian of their employees' retirement accounts. I think that's paternalistic. Even so, the low-cost provider of index funds, one of the champions of low fees in investing, paid Bill Clinton $400,000 to give two speeches. That shows you how deep this goes, folks. They paid, everyone paid these people to give speeches and to gain access to power. And it used to be that people like Richard Nixon would just get a suitcase full of cash. Now, you don't even need to do that. You just have somebody come up and give an hour speech about their lives, and you give them 10 times the amount of money you could fit in a suitcase full of cash. All right, so we've covered the Clintons. Now it's time to cover someone who is potentially even more dishonest than them, Donald Trump. So first of all, let's cover his net worth. Donald Trump has a net worth, he claims, of all caps, $10 billion. Okay, folks, that's absurd. He's not worth $10 billion. Forbes finds that he's worth approximately $3.7 billion. So what's, what's the big difference? Why such a big difference? The main issue is he takes his personal brand and values it at over $3 billion. Obviously, after this election, he's going to be lucky if that brand is worth anywhere close. Bloomberg, another organization, finds that his 
brand value is approximately one times its sales. So they find a brand value of maybe something between 30 and $100 million. That is a huge difference from $3 billion. So let's talk about his brand value, right? So he obviously said some extremely repugnant comments about women that were released recently, and he's had lots of accusers come forth, and clearly he is going to have a terrible, toxic brand now to most of upper-income Americans. It's going to be very hard to convince a corporation that they should be renewing their lease at one of his high-end commercial office buildings in New York City after this election. Now, granted, I think eventually that will die down and people will accept good deals through his organization, even despite their personal animosity, but short term, his brand is really damaged. On the other hand, there's a big reason why I believe that Trump ran in this election, and it's not to win the presidency. I want to talk about the Chick-fil-A approach to acquiring customers for a second. So before the Chick-fil-A founders tried to soften their brand a little bit to try to gain access to northern markets and western markets like California by not saying so many things negatively about gay marriage. Their approach was to target evangelical Christians and other conservative Christians by a very conscious business approach of not being open on Sundays, right? And also, they had a very conservative approach to everything in business, essentially. So their goal was to get 10 to 20% of the fast food market to be very loyal customers that would always want to go to Chick-fil-A if they were open. And their chicken sandwiches are really good, but notice also that they're like 350 or something like that. So that's a lot more money than McDonald's. So their profit margins are better, and Chick-fil-A can get extremely wealthy by winning over 10% of the population. I believe that's what Donald Trump is doing in this election and what he set out to do in the beginning. He has a huge ego. He's a very narcissistic personality. So when he was able to win the Republican nomination, he decided, yeah, sure, I'm going to keep running for pre the presidency because that will enhance my brand value even more in his mind. What was he thinking, right? One of his businesses is Trump University, a total worthless scam. It's essentially fraud, folks. A, tr a Trump University training of $10,000 for some sort of piece of paper that says you're going to be good in real estate, that's absolute crap. And Mitt Romney is absolutely right to call a degree from Trump University worthless. And he's a very smart man, and I completely agree with him in this respect. So here's what I think is going to happen after this election. You have his brand value, Trump's brand value, with really wealthy consumers being completely obliterated, but... His brand value with the diehard, anti-immigrant, anti-free trade, working class folks in rural, extremely conservative parts of the country, that brand value is going to be untouched because people trust him because he fights back against politicians and the media in a way that no one has ever seen before. So I think that he's going to have a big appeal to these folks, and he's going to probably try to come up with products to appeal to them. So I kind of joked maybe inappropriately the other day that Donald Trump is one of the few people that could probably open a national chain of stores selling Confederate memorabilia because he has people that will buy from him if he did that. So whether it's that or whether it's some sort of version of Trump stakes or some sort of new gambling product that he offers, I think that the fact that he'll dominate this extremely conservative 
blue collar sort of nationalist part of America, I think that's worth something. So I think his brand value in terms of the high end of the market will be drastically increased, but his brand value with working class people, lower educated people, that's going to have a huge impact and that's going to help him a lot. So I think it's a little bit of a wash. What, what I want to talk about Trump in terms of how this net worth, how his net worth would be affected by this election, think about the Donald Sterling effect. So Donald Sterling was the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers who said some horrendous raci racist things in a secretly recorded conversation with his mistress. When those things became public, when those feelings became public, his players essentially told him that they were, they were going to boycott the NBA. And that would have really damaged his product, obviously. So he owned a professional sports franchise in the second largest market in America. Obviously, we know that the person who ended up buying that, Steve Ballmer, paid a record-breaking price of over $2 billion for Donald Sterling's property. That's an obscene amount of money, and it was completely record-breaking from anything before that by Comparison: The Milwaukee Bucks, I believe, were bought for something around six hundred million by a group of private equity investors. Now that shows you the difference between Milwaukee and Los Angeles. It also shows you the ridiculously inflated values of sports teams right now. So the Los Angeles Clippers were a premium asset. Donald Sterling sold that for such a high amount of money because he owned a premium asset, not because he was a racist, right? So Donald Trump, in the same vein even though he's said all these racist comments and is this narcissistic, narcissistic, psychotic guy, he has a lot of premium assets. That's the one thing that is accurate about his portfolio. He owns 40 Wall Street. He owns Trump Tower. He owns 725 Fifth Avenue. These are the bluest of the blue chip properties in Manhattan. So is Donald Trump really so smart or did he benefit from luck? Obviously, Trump is one of the luckiest real estate developers in the country. The man is not particularly intelligent, as you can tell watching him speak on presidential debates, but he is very shrewd, and he knows how to take that luck and run with it. So how did he become so successful? In the 1970s and the 1980s, uh, especially in the 1970s and before that, crime was really, really high in Manhattan. You had a very good chance of being assaulted or robbed or even murdered if you were hanging around Manhattan. And Manhattan was not exactly, especially in the 1970s, that desirable of a place to live compared to now. Sure, you had Broadway and you had Wall Street, but Wall Street was pretty sleepy in the 1970s. What happened is bond trading started happening in the 1980s. You had the Technolog technological revolution in Wall Street in the 1980s that caused pay packages to skyrocket, and suddenly it was extremely sexy to be working on Wall Street. At the same time, you had expansion of new media and other organizations and fashion and that was able to be disseminated more broadly than ever before because of the explosion of technological progress that we experienced, which caused a massively larger value to being in New York City compared to be working in a smaller town. So you had a lot of people all of a sudden that wanted to either live or work in New York City, that, and that started happening in the 1980s. Well, Trump obviously had this incredible in in the market because he grew up in Queens. 
He had a huge loan from his father to start his business. His father was already a real estate expert who hand, handed the keys to the company to him. So Trump was able to purchase some real estate with a lot of help for rock bottom prices at one of the best times to purchase real estate in the history of New York City. So what happened? Trump took a lot of these properties. He used every dirty trick in the book and he was able to cause the value of these things to increase. However, he didn't really do it. The people that did it were all the people that happened to wanted to be wanted to be in New York and wanted to be in specifically in Manhattan. And Trump owned all this property in Manhattan and the price exploded. So essentially Trump was just in the right place at the right time. Now, granted I will give him some credit for being a lousy scumbag. One of the things that he did was buy a tower that was filled with a lot of poor folks that were getting rent subsidies. He put out an ad to invite homeless people to move into the tower. Okay? He essentially invited the worst of the worst in terms of people that you'd want to live next door to, okay, to his units with the express intent of getting all the holdouts to settle with him so he could gut it and transform it into an expensive tower and make a profit. So he, he did some things that you could call it shrewd, you could call it ruthless, you could call it smart, whatever. But he did a couple things to increase the value of his properties, but most of it is just being in the right place at the right time. How does Trump invest? Trump is actually a really terrible investor when it comes to mutual funds. He has a limited amount of assets and actually publicly traded securities. And the ones that he does have are in bizarre actively managed funds with high expense ratios. And he only has a few tens of millions of dollars in these funds, which is a tiny fraction of his net worth because, again, he happened to get lucky and pay off the mortgages on some of these very exclusive properties in Manhattan that soared in value. So unlike Hillary Clinton, who's very intelligent in the way that she invests, investing in the Vanguard S&P 500 index fund, Trump invests in some of the worst stuff you could possibly invest in from an actively managed mutual fund standpoint. So he clearly doesn't show very much intelligence with the way he manages his personal finances. Additionally, the depreciation allowance. Well, what exactly is that? So everybody's saying, oh, Trump doesn't pay any personal income taxes. That's probably true. And neither does Warren Buffett, and neither does most of the super wealthy billionaires backing both of these candidates. And the reason is because they take all of their gains and they defer them forever. And the way they do this is they take huge deductions, like depreciation. So Donald Trump can buy Trump Tower for a billion dollars. Then he can depreciate Trump Tower, perhaps at a 5% rate or a 10% rate or whatever the IRS tables allow, and he can deduct 50 to $100 million from his net income, which is his rental income from the building, and he can essentially pay almost nothing in taxes with this depreciation allowance for a very long time. Obviously, we found out about this massive loss that he took. He probably sold a single property at a loss or even manufactured a loss and was able to carry forward that loss in addition to using depreciation and use this to pay almost nothing in taxes. What's also interesting is when he dies, any gains that he has on these properties actually get adjusted. So this is called the cost basis step up. So if he bought a property for $100 million and it's worth a billion dollars on his death, that's a $900 million gain. 
Normally, if he sold that, he would owe taxes on $900 million. However, when he dies, the way our tax code is written, the cost basis step up means that for tax purposes, the cost basis of this tower is now a billion dollars. In other words, he gets the entire gain completely for free. He can pass that on to his children. Now, you might say, well, what about the estate tax? Well, there's another loophole there. You can either buy life insurance, working with an expert legal advisor, or you can make a trust. You can take the trust and you can gift the trust to a family member, perhaps at a lower than fair market valuation. So, for example, he could take part of his building, maybe 10% of his building, put it in a trust for Ivanka Trump, and maybe he did this when she was born. So he puts the $20 million value in this trust, right? So it's considered gifted for tax purposes. So he pays maybe a 40% gift tax on $20 million, but the thing is considered gifted for tax purposes. So now the building sits in this trust artificially and grows tax-free because they're not selling it for Ivanka Trump. And when he dies, it's not considered part of his estate. So the billion dollars doesn't get taxed in capital gains. It doesn't get taxed for state taxes. And what's more, it doesn't get taxed for personal income taxes. So is he dodging a lot of taxes? You better freaking believe he is. I've written at length also that people like Warren Buffett use this capital gains deferral to pay almost nothing on billions of dollars in income. And the reason is you don't have to pay anything on income that you don't realize in that year. So the Buffett rule is one of the most hypocritical things I've ever heard of because Buffett would pay a few million dollars extra a year in taxes. Well, he's worth about $65 billion. So the gains that he has every year and increased prices from his stocks are several billion dollars. But he doesn't realize those gains and he gifts them all to his charitable foundation so he's able to pay nothing in taxes. So all of these billionaires are incredibly corrupt and unfortunately, I don't particularly care for Bernie Sanders either, but he's a little bit right. The system is totally rigged for the benefit of the wealthy. And for example, I talked to my girlfriend today about how an entrepreneur that doesn't really know the tax code that well, making $50,000 a year, could easily pay 40% in taxes because the entrepreneur is not going to qualify for Obamacare credits. So they're going to pay $350 a month in health care, and they're going to pay... 15% for Social Security and Medicare because they have to pay the employer and the employee portion of their taxes. And they also have to pay federal, state, and local income tax. So once you get past all those expenses, they might as well just be better off going to a corporate office job, which is probably, in my opinion, why we have so much less entrepreneurial activity than we have in the future. 538.com has done some great pieces on questioning why do we not have as many startups as we did in the past. I think that's one of the reasons why, because entrepreneurial activity is not rewarded nearly as much as playing with a tax code as a billionaire. Um, speaking of billionaires, who are some of these people that are backing Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump? So Trump has Carl Icahn and Peter Thiel, uh, the investor, early end stage investor in Facebook. Also this guy Adelson, who is a Las Vegas gambling billionaire. He uh, is typically a big backer of Republican candidates. He just was able to squeeze out $750 million of public money to buy and build 
a stadium for the Las Vegas Raiders in Las Vegas. So these people, I mean, it's just really sad. I mean, maybe don't learn about this stuff because it'll just make you depressed. So just focus on what you can focus on, pay down your debt, invest in index funds, build your own wealth, achieve financial independence for your family, and just don't worry about some of these people that are just really all out for themselves. But, you know, he does not have a great cast of characters backing him. Who's backing Hillary Clinton? Uh, Soros and Buffett are the most prominent backers. Obviously, I mentioned that all of these people are some of the best in the business at avoiding taxes, at using the rules for their advantage, and at ripping off other people. So it's uh, unfortunate, but, you know, the people that back these candidates, they either openly don't care <laughs> or, you know, like Buffett, they pretend like they're going to be paying a lot more in taxes by changing the tax code when, in fact, the tax code change will just make Berkshire Hathaway shares even more valuable because of the tax deferral structure that he's created. So don't really believe billionaires that are speaking up for these candidates because they're in it for themselves. So just be careful. So how would you be affected if each candidate won? It's a great question. So financially speaking, Hillary Clinton, if she won, she would actually be hurt by that because she couldn't give any more speeches and conflicts of interest would be a problem. So Bill Clinton probably couldn't gain as much money for really shady things that he does. And Hillary Clinton wouldn't be able to collect hundreds of thousands of dollars a speech from Wall Street institutions. So she would definitely be negatively affected. That's why I think she tried to run up the score when she was in the private sector to give speeches because she's not really spending all that much money in her campaign, as Trump alleged recently in a debate. So I think that she wants all this money because she wants to be financially set for the presidency, to not have to take any money from anybody, so she can have a huge amount of money that she can spend however she needs to. In 2020, when she's running for re-election, she wants to be able to spend a little bit of extra of her money to win re-election, wants to give a little bit of money to the Clinton Foundation because she won't be able to raise money nearly as much when she's president. So I think that really makes sense for what they're trying to do with the Clintons. They just wanted to get as much money as possible to benefit themselves when they can't do the things that they are doing to gain money like they did in the past. Trump would actually gain enormously by winning the presidency. So in my view, there's this big bubble in New York City real estate. So by winning the presidency, there's this ethics loophole that Hank Paulson, the former CEO of Goldman Sachs, used when he became Treasury Secretary in 2006. So Hank, Hank Paulson... He sold $500 million of Goldman Sachs stock in 2006 and paid no taxes. That's right. He paid $0 in taxes, and he was able to diversify in other assets through this loophole that allows people that are rich, that have lots of assets with deferred capital gains, that want to serve in the federal government, they're able to take their assets and basically put them in some sort of quote-unquote blind trust where they sell whatever assets that they have and they invest it in diversified assets. So think about it. If you're sitting as a startup founder with hundreds of millions of dollars in stock and you want to get out, if you got out and diversified into more broadly diversified holdings, you'd have to pay millions of dollars in taxes. Well, that's not a great thing for anybody. So instead of paying millions of dollars in taxes, what you can do instead is go serve in the federal government, perhaps as a advisor to the president for technology policy, you can keep all of your gains and not pay taxes on any of them. So Trump could take all these giant buildings that he has in New York City, which I think are highly inflated in value if he won the presidency, and he could sell a lot of them, and he could sell them tax-free. So I think that if Trump won, he would do the same thing. 
if Trump loses, it probably hurts him financially because it hurts his brand that he's a winner because obviously I think if he loses, he'll lose big. And I think there'll be a limited appetite for him for paid speeches. His brand will be hurt. Like I joked earlier, maybe he could make a Confederate flag store across the South and some of the old Northwest, but I, I don't know. I mean, I'm being a little facetious. I think that maybe he could get a couple courses out there with Trump University, try to bring back some of the ties that he used to sell, maybe do a couple highly paid interviews or speak to some Middle Eastern folks that want to hear somebody famous. I think he'll make some money. If worst case scenario, he'll sell his buildings and he'll make several billion dollars from that. And, you know, he'll have plenty of money no matter what. So anyhow, you know, Trump is, is full of excuses. Hillary's full of excuses. It's unfortunate. Obviously, Trump has never released his tax returns. His audit excuse is just crap. He basically doesn't want to release his tax returns because he doesn't want people to see that he's paying probably 4 or 5% in income taxes. Now, granted, he paid enormous amount in property taxes, but that's essentially a business expense. And he paid a lot in payroll taxes, but anybody that has employees pays payroll taxes. So it's wrong to say that Trump pays no taxes because he does pay hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes in property tax. But it is probably correct to say that he pays almost nothing in personal income tax. So, you know, just to summarize, Hillary and Bill Clinton earned five times, over five times the speech revenue uh, compared to George W. Bush. They basically took the paid speech model for ex-politicians and took it to a whole new level and just did some really sketchy stuff. Their uranium deal where they approved a uranium sale to a company with Russian interests. They took millions and millions of dollars for the Clinton Foundation while they were making the decision whether or not to approve the deal. And the company that donated the money was the one that they approved the deal for. So that's just horrible, stupid. Uh, even if, if it wasn't corrupt, it gives the terrible appearance of conflicts of interest. And Trump is also just somebody who totally benefited from luck, got an enormous $200 million or so inheritance from his father, took loans to start the business, got right place, right time with his assets, some of his best assets in the world. It wasn't that way when he bought it. He got extremely lucky with the gentrification of Manhattan and a drop, drastic drop in crime in Manhattan. And suddenly everybody wanting to live there just raised the price of his real estate tremendously. So, oh shoot, I said the tremendous word. I guess I'm not going to edit that out. Sorry, Freudian slip. So anyhow, you have Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton fantastically corrupt politicians earning hundreds of millions of dollars because of their power and companies and individuals that want to buy access to it. And you have Donald Trump, who's a horrible narcissist who has taken advantage of every tax loophole in the book and potentially used policies such as racial discrimination and housing and fraudulent university courses to prey on people that want to be successful in life. To And he's done it all just to benefit himself and make more money. Even as Hillary Clinton mentions, he bought a gigantic portrait of himself with charity money and defended himself in lawsuits with charity money. So clearly, unfortunately, these folks are, are not people that I necessarily would want to look up to. I think that we don't have a great choice, but obviously we have to make a choice. Um, I don't really want to say who I would choose if a gun was to my head, but uh, I'm probably going to be voting third party this year. But anyhow, at least you have a pretty good idea of what the candidate's personal finances are like, what their investing habits are, 
and how they made their money. Hope you enjoyed it. It would be great if you could leave some feedback for the show to tell me if I'm doing a good job or maybe I'm doing a bad job. I'd love to know. So you can actually find us on iTunes and wherever podcasts are downloaded. So thank you so much. This is the third episode of the Millennial Moolah Show. Hope to come back, and thank you so much for listening. Take care.